You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Music is a powerful and an emotional tool that the Lord has given us. You can hear a song and it can take you back to a certain moment in your life. Music and a moment together breeds emotions in your heart. I see this best when I get the opportunity to go on our Young at Heart trip every year with some older people in our church. We go to Branson and we go to shows in Branson. And last year, me and my youngest son, Hudson, were on this one show with them and it was like songs through the decades. And I would watch these reserved older ladies, right, that just come in on Sunday, very dignified, very reserved. And as I would watch on the stage, this man begin to sing a song from a moment of time in their life that would resonate with their heart. We were, me and Hudson were just laughing because it was so funny to look down the row and the passion and the emotion with which they were singing these songs was was incredible. Why? Because music and moments together breed this emotion in our hearts. This is why the book of Psalms brings such emotion with it. Because it is a book of songs. Songs that hit us at emotional level. This is why Psalms 23, as Pastor Bob talked about last week, is such a powerful psalm for many people is because there's that moment that is associated with that music. There's that moment of Psalms 23 being associated with, for me, my parent, my mom's parents' death. And Psalms 23 being the psalm that my grandparents loved. And so when I think of Psalms 23, I think of that moment. It's the music and the moment together that makes it hit at a heart level, at an emotional level level. Psalms 24, the psalm we're going to look at today is a liturgical psalm, meaning it is a song that was written for public worship. It is a song that was to be sung with God's people. This is a corporate worship song. This is the music that we're going to hear today is Psalms 24. Now the moment of the song is really up for grabs. As you study Psalms 24 and David writing this Psalms, we're, we're not really sure when the song was written. There's a few moments that maybe in David's life that this could have been written. One, it could have been written when David was thinking about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is this Old Testament piece of furniture that was used to represent the presence of God. And they would take this Ark of the Covenant and they would take it with them wherever they would go. As they would move from place to place in the wilderness, the Ark of the Covenant would go with them. 
And when they would go out to war, they would take the Ark of the Covenant with them because taking the Ark of the Covenant with them was the presence of God with them. So they'd go out to war with the Ark of the Covenant. And then when they would come back, they would lead, the Ark of the Covenant would lead and they would be singing. And so maybe in David's mind, as he is pinning this psalm, he's thinking about the going to war and the coming back with the Ark of the Covenant. Many scholars, and this is where most people would land on the Ark of the Covenant and, and this song, song and song being written, is that it was when the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant and David was beginning to say, we need to bring it back to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is the most important place in the world, right? In the Old Testament, it is the most important place. So when you read in Psalms 24, you see things, the hill of the Lord in his holy place. This is all referring to Jerusalem. And so David is saying, I want to get the Ark of the Covenant back to where it belongs, and so David goes and he gets the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, they've tried to bring him back one time and it fell over and a guy reached out to touch it. Remember, God killed him immediately. And so it ends up with the Philistines. And now David's like, it's time for us to get that back. So they go and get it. And this is the song that David wrote as they're coming to Jerusalem. So you can picture this song being sung as they come to Jerusalem. They come to the gates of Jerusalem. And you can hear the lifting up of the gates and they, the, the, the guard at the gate saying, who is the king of glory? And they responding, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And the gates would open and they would bring the ark of the covenant, the presence of God into the place that it should be. That's Bible history of where this song could land. In Jewish history and church history, this psalm was used at a couple of moments. In Jewish tradition, they would sing this song on Sunday, the first day of the week in celebration of the first day of creation. Why? Because it begins in verse one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? It's, it's speaking of God creating it. So the Jewish people would sing this song, Psalm 24, on the first day of the week. This was the psalm that you would read. In Christian tradition, this psalm, was sung on Christ Ascension Day. Christ Ascension Day is found in Acts chapter one. And this is the day after, or, or this is the time after Christ has died on the cross, was buried and he rose again. And remember, he's present on earth for several days and he appears to hundreds of people. And then there's a day in Acts chapter one when he's giving a final talk and they watch him ascend into heaven. Christian tradition, church history has that on that day that we celebrate that as a church, they would sing Psalm 24. So this is the moment wrapped around Psalm 24. Whenever it is to be sung, whether it was when the Ark of the Covenant was coming back from the Philistines or the Jewish people singing it on the first Sunday or Christian church tradition singing it on Christ Ascension Day, whenever it is to be sung, it is to be sung with the emotion that the Lord is our King. This is the theme of this psalm. The Lord is our King. How do we know that this is the theme of Psalm 24, that the Lord is our King? Well, if you listened as we were reading through it, and if you read it last night to prepare your heart for worship today, you'll notice that six times David uses the term Lord. And if you'll notice, 
Most translations capitalize those letters, L-O-R-D. Why? Because this is the covenant name of God. And he is saying six times, Lord, Yahweh, this covenant keeping God. This is the focus of this psalm, our Lord. But he ends it in the last five verses by using the term king of glory five times. So it's like he's wanting us to get the signs that are blinking to us of this psalm. Our Lord, king of glory. Therefore, the theme is the Lord is our king. He is the king of glory. How do we know that the Lord is our king? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David begins to pen the words that come to his mind as he thinks about the Lord being our king. And the first thing that he shows us, how do we know that the Lord is our king? The first thing that he shows us is he created all things. Look at verses one and two. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the river. David Penn returns to the creation account of Genesis 1.1. As he thinks about God being the king, he thinks about the creation of the world. And he looks at the mountains and the valleys and the green pastures and the rivers and the seas and sheep and, and all different people groups. And everywhere he looks... He sees that it belongs to its creator, King, the Lord. He is the sovereign creator. Paul actually quotes Psalms 24.1 in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 26. And they're having this discussion in the Corinthian church. They're having a lot of discussions in the Corinthian church. But one of them was, do we eat meat offered to idols? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, In verse 25, it says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. Verse 26, this is the quote, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. When Paul is talking to the Corinthians, he uses Psalms 24.1 to say to his Corinthians, audience eat the steak because it doesn't belong to them it belongs to the Lord for some reason our world today we have lost sight of this reality we think that our lives belong to us we think that this world is ours to do with it what we want to do with it and Psalms 24 is a reminder that that is not the case we belong to the Lord the creator of all things. We were made for him. He created all things. Therefore, we should honor him as our king creator. Amen. How do we honor him as the king and creator of all things? We submit our lives to him. Amen. How do we do that? Look at the verses three through six. How do we know the Lord is our king? He created all things. How do we know That the Lord is our king, verses 3 through 6, he invites everyone to know him. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Think Jerusalem, think the Ark of the Covenant coming into the temple. Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord 
and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The song leads us into thoughtful reflection with the question in verse 3, who can come into the presence of God. That's what he's saying by who can ascend the hill of the Lord, who can stand in his holy place. It's, it's the idea of who can come into the presence of God. If he has created all things and that shows us that he is the king, then who can come into the presence of the king? He says there's four qualifications to come into the presence of the king. Verse four, clean hands, pure heart, not lift your soul to what is false, does not swear falsely. To have clean hands refers to outward actions. To have a pure heart refers to the motives of those actions. To not lift your soul to what is false is to trust in something other than God. So when he says, don't lift your souls to what is false, and we're going to jump on this next week in verse chapter 25, but to not lift your souls to what is false refers to trusting in something other than God and does not swear falsely refers to the words that come from our heart. You'll see that the qualifications to enter the presence of God are both external and internal. They're, they're both words and actions as well as our heart and our soul. If we're honest with each other, we look at this list and we think, there is no way then that we can come into the presence of the king. When you hear that the qualifications are clean hands, a pure heart, not lifting your souls to another, not having false words come out of your mouth. We look at that list and every one of them, we have to say, miss the mark, miss the mark, miss the mark, miss the mark. Amen. And it leaves us feeling the weight of our sin, which takes you and me to the good news of the Bible. There has been one who has come, who has fulfilled these qualifications and he offers his record to our account so we can be in the presence of the king. Yes. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, account Jesus, clean hands. Jesus, pure heart. Yeah. Jesus, not lifting his soul to another. Jesus, not having one false word come out of his mouth. His righteousness is put to our account. Thank you. What a gracious king to be clear on what it, he expects, but how much more gracious is that he would give us a way to be in his presence through Jesus. As Christians, we don't look at these qualifications and think, what a drag. We have to live with clean hands and pure hearts and not lift our souls to another. Instead, we look at this and think, what a joy. We have been invited into the presence of the King through Jesus Christ, and now we can live in his presence. What a joy to have clean hands. 
What a joy to have a pure heart. What a joy to not lift our souls to another. What a joy to not allow false words to come out of our mouth. What a kind and gracious God. What a kind and gracious king to make a way for us to be in his presence. He goes on in verse five and he says, these are the benefits of being in the presence of the king. He says, he will receive blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. This blessing has the idea of God's favor. Now, that word is thrown around today in Christian circles and I think is used in a wrong way. The favor of God being all of a sudden you're going to have a financial windfall and all of a sudden you're going to be healed of your cancer and this is God's favor on your life and we need the favor of God upon us. I think that's a really bad theology of the word blessings. God's blessings is this church that he is present with us when we get the raise but he's also present with us when we lose our job. That's the blessing of God. The blessing of God is his presence with us, right? That's why we go back to Psalms 23 and he says, I'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm present with you even when life's not going like you thought it was. That's the blessings of God. So he says that is a result of these qualifications being met is that you'll receive blessings. You'll have the presence of God with you. And then he says, righteousness from the God of his salvation. This word righteousness actually is the idea of vindication. That the judge grants you and I a clean record. You see, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our righteousness. He sees the clean record of his son. That's powerful. Then he says in verse six, how do we come into the presence of God? He says, they go to the ones who seek after the presence of God. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Those who come to the presence of God are those who seek after God. I love that in this, the king is inviting everyone to know him. He's saying, you can know me. You can come into my presence. I'm inviting you to know me. Therefore, we must seek after him. We come to him because he first came to us through Jesus. Sometimes I think our perspective of God is affected by the democracy that we live in. And that we picture God up in heaven, wringing his hands, hoping that every four years we'll vote to him to be the king of his, of our lives, right? That he is sitting up in heaven somehow like, oh, I hope, I hope after this sermon that they'll vote me to be the king of their life. It doesn't work that way with him. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And what a kind and gracious God that he would say, hey, you can know me. You can be invited into my presence. And you know how you can come to me? Through my son Jesus, who I sent for you. He has come and he invites us to know him. He doesn't need us, but he desires to have a relationship with us. Then you have the word Selah. It is to pause. It is to reflect. The idea is that when... 
you would sing the song that maybe at this moment you would do the interlude or you would do the, the part where it's just the, the music playing, right? And you're reflecting on the song. I like what one pastor said when he said of this term, Selah, this pausing and reflecting, the idea is, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? So as you hear that the Lord is our king, and how do we know that he is our king, that he created all things, and that he invites everyone to know him, we're to pause at this moment and say, what do you think about that? How do we know the Lord is our king? He created all things. He invites us to know him. And then he provides victory for his people. Verse 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates. Think of Jerusalem. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. The guard at the gate. Who is the king of glory? The Lord. The people echo back David echoes back, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. The guard, who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory of glory. These verses are the crescendo of the song. This is what the song has been building towards with each stanza. Can you see it today? David leading the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God back to Jerusalem and the army is returning with him and they're singing this song and as they're singing this song they come to the gate and when they come to the gate they say lift up your head O gates be lifted up O agent of day that the king of glory may come in and the guard yells back Back to them, who is the king of glory? And the, the congregation sings back, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Yes. What a beautiful music moment. And what a beautiful moment that must have been to hear Psalms 24 declared at the gates of Jerusalem. How can we know that the Lord is our king? He provides victory. That's all these words that they use of the Lord. He is strong and mighty. Yes, he is. He's mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts is the idea of he is the Lord of armies. That's the second stanza. He is the, the Lord of, of armies. It's, it, it's the idea that he has the victory. So if he provides victory for us, therefore today we don't lose heart in the battle. We keep moving forward. It's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The king provides us with victory. Therefore, we don't lose heart. So how will you respond to the king today? You see, you can't come in the presence of the king and leave neutral. Ah, we'll see. When you come to the presence of the king, you got to respond at some level. 
Because he created all things, my question for you is, will you honor him as your creator king? Will you submit to his kingship in your life the way he's made you? Male, female. The, the situation that you find yourself in as a sovereign creator, will you submit to who he is as the creator of all things? Because he has invited you to know him, will you seek after him? Will you come into his presence through the person of Jesus Christ? Listen, he, he, he's invited you to respond to him. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility now to seek after him. Right now. Other translations say to inquire of the king, that we would go after him, that we would seek after him. He's invited you. Are you seeking after him? Yeah. Are you like those of the God of Jacob that were seeking after their king? Is there intentionality in it? Are you going after him? Because he provides victory, will you not lose heart? in the battle. Will you continue to keep moving forward? Listen, I know this life is difficult. I know we live in troubling times. But you know this church. The King of Glory has come. Yes, he is. We have won. So why are we losing heart? Why are we wringing our hands? He's not wringing his hands up in heaven saying, Marxism is coming to the United States. What am I going to do? He's not wringing his hands up in heaven saying, man, people are struggling with their gender. What am I going to do? He has won the victory, church. May we live victorious lives and not lose heart. Amen. Because he is the king of glory. Remember, this is the songbook of Jesus. If Jesus had a playlist on Spotify or Apple Music and he was listening on his iPhone, the book of Psalms would be what he would listen to. This is the songs that Jesus sang. And the Bible says that Jesus came and lived the life that you and I couldn't live clean hands, pure heart, didn't lift his soul to another, didn't have a false word come out of his mouth. The Bible also says that Jesus died on the cross, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that he died on the cross and he was buried and he rose again. And when he rose again, he conquered death. Sin. He conquered sin. He conquered the devil, yeah. right? He brought us victory. And the Bible says that after he arose, 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to over 500 people. And he's been on earth for several days now, and it's time for him to ascend back into heaven to be with his father. And you find his ascension in Acts chapter 1. Remember, this was the early church history and Christian tradition was they would sing this psalm on the ascension day. And so I want you to see what is happening in Acts chapter 1 in verse 8. Jesus gives that call, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And look at verse 9 of Acts chapter 1. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, 
he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing up into heaven as he went. So you get the picture? Jesus is saying, you shall be my witnesses. And now he's ascending into heaven. And there the disciples are and others watching Jesus ascend. And all of a sudden, they don't see his nail-pierced feet or his nail-pierced hands anymore. All of a sudden, he is gone. What happened after that moment? I don't wonder if the words that weren't on Jesus' heart and the song that wasn't in Jesus' heart was Psalms 24. As he is heading towards the gates of heaven, he is thinking and singing to himself as he's listening to his playlist. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the heaven. And he's singing as he's moving towards the gates of heaven. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And you can imagine Jesus is thinking about himself. Uh, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And he takes a moment and he thinks on that. And then he gets to the gates of heaven. And he stands before the gates of heaven and he says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And the angel at the gate says to him, who is the king of glory? And Jesus sings back, the Lord strong, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Amen. And what has puzzled commentators is why does he say it twice? Because when the Lord speaks and the king speaks, the gates open up and you don't have to say it twice, right? So why did David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write a second time? These words, why did he repeat himself? Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift them up, O ancient of day, that the king of glory may come in. Because this won't be the last time that Jesus will come to the gates of Jerusalem. You see, he uses a different word under the second time. He says, he is the Lord of hosts. Revelation chapter 21 tells us that in the new Jerusalem, there will be guards at each gate. And the next time he comes back to the gate of Jerusalem, guess who will be singing this song with him? You and I. And we will come to the gate after he has conquered and thrown the keys away for Satan in hell forever. And we will come with Jesus and we will sing with Jesus. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancients of day, that the king of glory may come in. And the guards will say, who is the king of glory? And we together will say, the Lord of armies, he is the king of glory. What do you think about that? Father, thank you that you are the king of glory. And that one day, 
you will return. And one day we will join the army of heaven. And one day we will put an end with you to death and devil and sin. And one day we will sing Psalms 24 with you because you are the king of glory. Now help us, Lord, to live in a manner worthy of that reality. Help us, Lord, to be good citizens of your kingdom. Help us to walk with clean hands and pure hearts, not lifting our souls to another, not swearing falsely, because Jesus has come and made a way for us to be in your presence and be with you. In Jesus' name, together we said, Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.